0: certainly here he is here to do mighty things in jesus name so we can call upon that name and believe in it tonight in jesus name i don't know if pastor had looked at the uh, message before tonight by any means but all of these songs tied directly in with what we're going to be speaking about tonight So God is already beginning to do what he wants to do here tonight in every one of our lives in Jesus' name. There is a prayer request here for uh, Jazzy Reynolds, and uh, she has some medical stuff going on and needs peace for God's will to be done. So we want to pray for her. Pray for the circumstances that are going on around us. I know that we have had um, some deaths re- recently in some apostolic churches that are close to us um, from COVID and, and different things that are going on. And so we can lift up the name of Jesus and believe in it tonight. Not only that, but your personal problems, the things that may be going on in your life or your household or whatever it may be, God can touch that and be in that place tonight. He doesn't take Wednesday nights off, but he is here 24 seven every hour of the day. And so we're thankful for that. So let's just lift our hands. And, and, and just call out to him tonight and give those things to him God we have these needs Lord we are humans God and we present these things before you believing God that you can touch every one of them God I pray for this Jeze God that you would touch her Lord that you would reveal your salvation to her God and that Lord through the healing that occurs it would bring glory to your name God and the power that you have to save and move mountains God around your show these things great her family God and the peace that is there Jesus I believe that for every household that is here tonight God that your spirit can go and touch every household God every person on the live stream God that through you and your name that you have allowed us to call upon God that the miraculous can move God that things that are unseen God can be seen and God we believe you tonight in your authority God that this will be released in this place tonight God that through you there is strength God then there is greatness and Lord we thank you for what you are doing in this place tonight God oh hallelujah we believe this in Jesus name tonight in Jesus wonderful name tonight hallelujah hallelujah in Jesus name we praise that mighty name of yours God So great God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. We believe that he is doing it and that he is going to continue to do it in Jesus' name. You can be seated tonight. He is just uh, doing such wonderful things around us, even in the midst of this time and the, the midst of everything that we have going on with our jobs in different places in Jesus' name. And so I'm thankful for all of that. I know next week we have um, the general conference services, which will be taking place, and um, we want to encourage you to participate with us in those, to come down here to the church. I know that you can watch it on your own stream and and that sort of thing, but really, um, if you can come down here to the church, it's just, it's amazing here. I know Brother Mike and I think Brother Carlos made it to the youth services, and uh, they can testify to just how powerful it was in this atmosphere here at the church, and uh, coming together with, with one another. I mean, even though the services ended, the, the Spirit of God just kept moving in this place, and so it, it's incredible, and so I'd encourage you to come and treat it just like we have a live speaker here, a live singing team um, in Jesus' name. Clap and sing unto God. Give Him praise. Let His Spirit come and touch your heart, because it absolutely will in Jesus' name, and so um, I, we're, we just want to take a brief poll here tonight just to kind of see where everybody is at um, with this. We, we may have the opportunity, opportunity to push these services back a little bit later, but we just want to see kind of what what some thoughts are here tonight. And so if the services started at 530 or 545, which is when they're scheduled to start, how many people are planning on making it to that or or believing that they would be able to make it to Planning on coming? So, okay. So a, a few here. If we pushed it back um, let's say an hour to 6.30, 6.45 is when we started it. How many people would be able to make it then? So a few more, maybe a couple more it looks like. We can kind of see. Okay. So we'll, we'll look into that. Uh, we will let you all know uh, exactly what time. Right now plan on being here at five, 5.30 to 5.45. Um, 5.30 would probably be the better bet, I think they're going to kick it off shortly after that, but they're not uh, wanting these things to be super long, and so um, you don't have to worry about coming here and being here for hours on end, but they're going to keep it really brief and to the point in these services, but believe me, God will still move in powerful ways, and so those services will only go on for about an hour, um, actually, and then with the hour, uh, like an hour and a half with the singing and that sort of stuff is what they said yesterday. But it will be something that God will absolutely touch you with. Uh, There's a mission service, a home mission service. Uh, There's a youth service. There's, I forget what's on Thursday night. I think it's Brother Bernard that speaks on Thursday night. Uh, You know, just a phenomenal guy to listen to and hear his wisdom in Jesus' name. So, yeah, if you want to hear about what God is doing around the world, this is the place to tap into it Um, because it's, man, it will just blow your mind sometimes what God is doing. I got the email today. Yes. It's just phenomenal. In every aspect of the church, God is adding. And so we can, you know, and you're part of this, church. You're a great part of this. And so I just want to encourage you. It's a great time, not only of celebration, but anticipation, because it's going to get greater in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. In Jesus' name. It is incredible, it is absolutely incredible, and not that we honor the organization, but the UPC uh, is definitely a place that Jesus' name can be proclaimed to our world, and even financially, God has richly blessed. I was looking over that report, and we are not just some small organization, even though people may think that we are, but I mean, there, there are our finances and funds that God has poured in there to move the gospel around the world. And uh, it is insane. Like, I, 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 I don't even, I don't know that I can mention it publicly. But, I mean, God is doing some incredible things. And one thing that I can mention, and I want to say thank you for this church for giving to this, but She's for Christ yesterday was kind of the final wrap-up day for that. But $5.2 million was raised for She's for Christ. It's the fourth largest offering ever in the entire history of She's Her Christ. So it is just absolutely incredible what God is doing, and so next week we get to take those funds and say, uh, we want, you know, these missionaries to have vehicles, these churches to be started that, that just really begin to disperse it to those places that it goes and so I can tell you that every dollar of that even if you struggle maybe to give a dollar to that I can tell you it comes down to dollars that we argue over uh, in this this million dollar thing if I guess not argue but we pray about it and we discuss it about where should this go because we want the gospel to be furthered around the world in Jesus name in the best possible way that it can with those funds and so thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to that. It is just powerful what God is doing in so many aspects. So if you want to hear more of those good testimonies, come to those services next week and you will hear uh, some good things. There's also some seminars that will be going on throughout the days on Thursday and Friday and and we're looking at potentially having some of that going as well and and we don't know how many people could be here in the middle of the day, but we'll let you know. So we'll we'll have all of that stuff and I'll, I'll send out text to the group text and I'll let you know what is going on next week. So for now, plan on being here, 5.30, 5.45, and then uh, those services will probably end around 7 or a little bit after, um, according to what they said yesterday. So apologize, brother, they're not as long as what they, they were last year, in Jesus' name. Yes, amen, amen. So God is good, God is good. Awesome. Well, tonight we are going to start a new series here, and uh, let's see, Sister Carnahan, I might have to have you click on that, it uh, doesn't want to advance for me. And this new series is going to be about sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, unto God. And so tonight and next Wednesday are going to be kind of part A and part B of the introduction of this. And then after that, it's going to be really taking a lot of this and applying it uh, specifically to us. I know tonight we will glean some things that God will reveal to us. Maybe he'll convict us in some ways. It's, it's possible through all of this. I believe that his word will not return void. And so tonight and, and next uh, Wednesday, we're going to be discussing about really what is sacrifice and what is the meaning of behind sacrifice because sacrifice has many different ideas and thoughts about it. I know that uh, some people, if you went to foreign countries, they may think that sacrifice is taking a human being and taking their life from them. For other people, they may think that it is giving up something or, or uh, putting something on the back burner so that they can further something else inside of their lives. And so there's really this wide gamut of what we consider sacrifice and what we we try to define as sacrifice. And so tonight we're going to answer that question of what is sacrifice and really begin to look at uh, various ideas about uh, Jesus Christ and why uh, the the salvation plan that we preach and we teach inside of this church is absolutely biblical. That it is not just accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and that uh, you'll, you'll be able to go on and make it to heaven and have a wonderful life and that sort of thing. That that's not what the scripture tells us. It doesn't tell us that we just accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior and that we're automatically saved and we don't have to worry about never coming to church again or that sort of stuff. It says, no, it's a, it's a stepping process that we begin this walk with God, that we do accept Jesus, but then there's some steps that we have to take after that to further our commitment to Him. And so So tonight is going to be uh, talking about that as well, about what is uh, salvation, what is the salvation plan that we believe in, and why do we believe in it so strongly in Jesus' name, because scripture absolutely supports it in so many different ways. Can I get an amen tonight on that in Jesus' name? So we're going to believe that, we're going to trust in it, and I believe it's going to uh, give you some great things in Jesus' name. And so tonight, can I get a volunteer to read the scripture? Starting out, I, I got told on Sunday night that you all read it better than I do. So uh, can I get a volunteer from, uh, from the audience? Somebody. Yes. Thank for you, Jesus. The of bulls and of goats, and the ashes of the unclean, sanctify it through the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? Serve the living God. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I know that there are a lot of big words in these scriptures here and kind of some confusing thoughts and some ideas here, but these scriptures are really speaking to us about uh, some of the Old Testament things that they would do to purify or cleanse somebody who was unclean. That they would take these ashes of these heifers and they would mix them with uh, people. They would uh, sprinkle them on them and they would use this as a way of saying that a person was now clean. It was more of a ritualistic way that that God had spoken to them about and they used it to um, basically... honor what God had asked them to do in order to take a person from being unclean to clean and so it's talking about how there there, there was some you know good stuff that would come as a result of that but then it transitions to say you know if that is able to be used and do some incredible things in this world then how much more so is it when Jesus died on the cross that we are able to take that blood and use it to cleanse ourselves to become people like him uh, that, that then then those things that were prior to that in Jesus' name. And so that's what the scripture is really beginning to speak about, purging our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so uh, we're going to dive into this. I don't want to go too deep into it right now, but that's just kind of a brief summary of it, of what we're going to touch on here tonight. So I'll start out with this introduction again. It says, the smell of roasted lamb still lingered in the air as the Israelites waited in their homes. Waiting for what? They were quite sure. They had only been told by their elders to roast a lamb and to prepare unleavened bread and bitter herbs to eat the meal dressed for a journey, staffs in hand, ready to leave in an instant. Strangest of all, they had been told to smear the lamb's blood on the doorposts and the lintels of their homes to protect them from a final plague that God was bringing against the Egyptians. And now as midnight approached, they waited. What's that? They looked at each each other uneasily, and all of them had heard the distant sound. The sound continued to swell till it was unmistakable, cries of grief coming from the homes of the Egyptians. The destroyer had come, and as the Lord had warned, he had unleashed the destroying angels to strike down their firstborn, both of man and of beast." The cries grew louder than anything ever heard in Egypt as anguished mothers and fathers in every home clung to their lifeless firstborn. Cries came from the palace too. Pharaoh, now broken before the Lord, cried unto his servants. He said, get Moses and Aaron. And when they arrived, Pharaoh burst into the room distraught. Get out of my land, all of you. Go serve the Lord as you said. Take everything that you have, just go. Moses and Aaron didn't have to rally the Israelites to leave. Terrified Egyptians were already pounding on the doors, shouting, Get out, get out, we beg you. Just get out of our land. And without fully comprehending what was happening, the Israelites rushed about to get ready to leave. As God had said they would, the Egyptians gave them gold, silver, and clothing, anything to get them out of their land as quickly as possible. The great company of Israelites began to move out, joyful but hardly believing what was happening. They couldn't help but look back at their homes, the center of their lives of slavery, and there it was, the sign of their salvation, visible in the moonlight. Dark streaks of blood stained the doorposts and the lintels of every home. Thank God for the blood, in Jesus' name. I want you to repeat that after me. Thank God for the blood. Yes, thank God for the blood. Yes, amen. I'm going to say that a lot tonight through this lesson, and every time that I say it, I want you to say it as loud as you possibly can as well. I want you to repeat that back and truly begin to put some meaning behind it and say, thank God for the blood in Jesus' name. Yes, amen. That's what we are learning about tonight is thank God for the blood. What is sacrifice? Blood comes from sacrifice. You see, Israel... They were inside of this place where there was bondage. They had grown up knowing that they would be uh, tied into their houses and lifting heavy stones and doing things for Egyptians that they would never be able to escape. They grew up knowing nothing but slavery inside of this environment that they were in, of beatings and having to kill their children, and, and, and many different stories where they were going through just torturous times that would be horrible to think, I am a person of God, yet God is allowing me to stay inside of this bondage and this slavery. If you could imagine living for God during this time, it's tough enough. But to grow up knowing nothing but slavery and beatings and hurtful things inside of your life and saying that you were still going to live for God in the midst of that, it would be absolutely difficult in the midst of those times. However, there were still some Israelites who decided that they were going to commit to the God of their fathers. We learned about that in lessons before, that he's the God of our fathers, that he's also the God of us in Jesus' name, and I'm I'm thankful for that. But these people were willing to live that out and know that he was not only their God, but the God of their fathers, and as a result, they needed to keep serving him because he was truly their only hope or only uh, satisfaction in in, in this uh, bondage, in this turmoil that they were in. So Exodus chapter 2 and 23, it says this in a different version than the King James. It says the people of Israel groaned because their slavery and they cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people Israel and God knew. It speaks about how these people began to cry out to God because they knew That he was their last hope in the midst of all this turmoil and these hurtful things that were going on. They knew that they would not be able to free themselves from the circumstance and the chains and the bondage that they were currently in inside of their houses. They knew that no matter how hard they tried to escape the Egyptians, that they were not going to be able to do this on their own. They did not have the weapons or the metals to build those weapons or the the strong young men to begin to fight, they were weak. They were weakened by not having food and just being in the poverty in these places, that they were downcast, they were weakened from carrying stones up the Mao in every different place and building pyramids for the Egyptians and whatever else they had them doing inside of those particular places. They were weakened from all of these things. And so they knew that their only hope in the midst of this bondage was to cry out to this God that their fathers had spoken so highly above. To cry out to this God that their fathers had said to come in and do incredible, miraculous, amazing things inside of their lives. They knew that this was their only hope in the midst of of this circumstance that was going on. And the incredible thing is not only did they cry out, but God heard his people crying out to him and he knew that he had made a promise to their fathers before them. He knew that he could not just leave the Israelites in the midst of the Egyptians because then his plan, his promise that he had given to their fathers would not be unfolded. And we all know that our God does not lie and he does not tell things that are not true. And so as a result, he had to begin to honor his word. When these people began to cry out to him, he said, you know what, now's the time for deliverance. Now's the time to be freed from these places that you are at. When this fresh cry of suffering from his people came up to him, he heard it. He heard it inside of his kingdom. He heard it inside of the atmosphere that we are in tonight. He hears prayers and we can believe that in Jesus' name. And so this God that we believe and we serve in, it says this, that God raised up Moses and Aaron to lead his people out of Egypt. Does anybody remember what God spoke to Moses through to tell him he needs to go deliver the people? Does anybody remember? The burning bush. Amen. Yes, he spoke to him through the burning bush. He said, hey, take your shoes off. This is holy ground that you're standing on, and you're about ready to do something incredible for the people of Egypt. And we remember Moses, he's stepping back like, man, this bush is talking to me. But not only that, but he says that me, that I am going to be led by him to take this entire nation that is weak and bruised and hurt inside of this captivity out of that bondage into a brand new land. That had to be something that was encouraging for Moses, but absolutely scary as well thinking how on earth am i going to come against the most powerful man to see this accomplished but god spoke to him and said you know what I'm going to honor my word and I'm going to do something here. In Exodus 4 and he said, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. That was a message that was given unto Pharaoh. That God was speaking directly to Pharaoh, telling him that not only are these plagues going to come against you, but Pharaoh, I warn you, if you do not let my people go, then your firstborn son, his life is going to be taken. I I know that God does not just go out and love to take people's lives. That is not his purpose. That is not who our God is. But God understood inside of this circumstance that Pharaoh was going to be very hard and very harsh towards these people, and he would not let them go until something significant happened. And so as a result, God told him, Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, then your firstborn son is going to die. It's harsh and it's hard to think about. But it needed to happen in order for this deliverance to occur inside of this. It's representing so many things that begin to take place later on. And in Exodus 5 and 2, Pharaoh says, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord and neither will I let Israel go. We all understand that that was a mistake for him to begin to test the one and the only God. Of Who is this God? I don't have to listen to him. He doesn't have any power or ability or authority over my life. That it was a very, very bad thing for Pharaoh to begin to say that. I think we have all seen maybe somebody here today in this world or maybe a friend or a person around us who has said something very similar and it begins to put that cringe inside of your heart of saying, man, don't say that, don't go that far because God will go to the extreme to reach people and he will push out of the way whatever he needs to push out of the way to reach his people in Jesus' name. And so Pharaoh at this point challenging God we know that these 10 plagues came and Pharaoh eventually came to know God. It wasn't because he wanted to know God, but it was because God was saying, you're going to figure out who I am pretty quick in the circumstance that is here. You're going to know and understand my wrath and my fury and the things that I can bring down to free my people. Pharaoh, you are going to know exactly who I am and it's going to be through these plagues here. It wasn't because Pharaoh sought God out, but God absolutely began to show Pharaoh what was going to happen. So it says on the screen there that through mighty power and signs, God was going to save his people. Through mighty power and signs, God saved his people. I'm emphasizing that three-letter word there, God, because that is what this story is all about. That even though he was using Moses and Aaron in these circumstances, God was the one who saved his people from Pharaoh. These men and their faith, they absolutely were able to do some incredible things through the power of God that was inside of them, but God had done it all in order to free his people from the nation of Egypt. It was God who began to open the doors and allow the chains to fall out and freedom to begin to come into these people who were inside of this very hurtful environment. It was God who allowed this to happen, not the human beings themselves in the midst of this. But ultimately, what ultimately turned the destroyer away was not that God had promised salvation to his people, but that the Israelites had embraced it, and by faith, they went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. It says the children of Israel, they went away, they did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. We see a twofold part here. Where God is not only saying, this is how you're going to see freedom and and, and get away from the Egyptians and that sort of thing. He gives that message to Moses and Aaron. But Moses and Aaron relay that to the people. The people instantly say, okay, what's the plan? Let's put this plan out on the table and let's begin to do what is inside of this plan here. It wasn't God forcing their hands and moving them as robots and that sort of thing, but they heard from God, they put the plan out, and they said, this is the plan of God, and we are going to do it because this is what God says equates to freedom, and if God says this is the process, then we must begin to go through this process to see freedom happen inside of our lives. So it was God who did it all, God who freed these people, but it was the people's faith in God and their actions beginning to take action upon that faith that led them into the freedom that they would have, freedom from that bondage of carrying those heavy stones, of being locked inside of their houses, of having to kill their children and various different things that Pharaoh had made them do. It would be these things that would cause them to begin to move forward. I know that I'm just kind of building right now, but believe me, this is all going to make sense here in just a few minutes, and it might already begin clicking inside of your head, and if it does, you can begin to run the aisles and rejoice and praise God and get excited about it tonight, because this is the best message on salvation in this scripture in Jesus' name. So let me ask you this question, but what does the story of Exodus teach us about the relationship between believing God and obeying God. So basically, what is the difference between believing God and obeying God? What, what do you all think on that? Believing God and obeying God. Yes. Action. Okay? Action. Amen. Yes, brother. Well, Pharaoh believed God, but he did nothing about it. The children of Israel believed God and did something about it. They were saved. Right. The Egyptians weren't saved. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Any other thoughts on that? Yes, brother. Believing in God, you don't have the fear. Yeah, believing in God, you don't have the fear of God. Have obeying God, you have the fear and respect that God mm. desires. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Some things can begin to grow. Anybody else? Anybody on live stream? I, I always forget to ask about that. Brother, Carlos, you have something? You'll have a good day when you learn to obey, in Jesus' name. Absolutely. Yes, all good points on this. I I think you all get what what we're trying to say here in the midst of this, that there is a difference between just believing in God in obeying him inside of his scripture. The scripture tells us that Satan himself believes in God. It's obvious because he argues with him all the time. He knows that he's real. He knows that he's alive. He, he might even have more conversations than some Christians do in their prayer life with God. Because he knows that he's alive and he's inside of these different things there. So we must begin to say, I don't want to just believe in God. But I want to obey God as the nation of Israel did inside of these scriptures. And so deliverance, it says this. Deliverance from God's judgment comes only through applying the blood. Nothing else is sufficient and nothing else is required. Nothing else is sufficient and nothing else is required but the blood of Jesus Christ that can begin to come into our lives and be applied in Jesus' name. You see this Passover, this, this thing that we talk about, and I think that's our next point here, but the Passover is something that is spoken about in many places inside of the scripture. And we have spoken about it on Easter in different places and, and all of that sort of stuff, but we know that this Passover is what is referring to this time when when the nation of uh, Israel was in Egypt, and they were there in, in these God told them, you need to take the blood from this lamb and put it across the top of your doorpost because these angels are going to come through and the firstborn of every household, the firstborn of every animal in the field, every firstborn is going to be killed if it does not have the blood of the lamb across that doorpost. And so the the angel would pass over these houses that had that blood of the lamb sprinkled upon it. And so the Passover is something that begins to become celebrated in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is something that continued many years after this. So that basically every year they would celebrate the Passover in the midst of this. And their festivities included actually sacrificing lambs without blemish on the first evening of this feast. They wanted to remember their deliverance from the nation of Egypt. And this was their way of doing It's it taking a lamb, sacrificing it to remember having to do that on that day and putting it across the doorpost. That is something that we can learn from the Israelites that when they had God do something inside of their life, they began to celebrate it year after year after year because they did not want to forget the power that God had in the midst of some of those circumstances and those environments that they were truly in. And so this foreshadowed something far greater later on. That the Passover foreshadowed Jesus' ministry in Jesus' name. It says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7-8. It says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. And so believers today, we also celebrate the Passover in Jesus' name not following a Jewish ceremony to remember the Israelites' deliverance from slavery to the Egyptians, but spiritually to celebrate a greater Passover and a greater exodus, that through Christ we are freed from slavery to sin, and we will be saved from God's final judgment and wrath through his blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God. Amen. Thank God for the blood. We believe that tonight, that his blood not only was there to save his people in the midst of of that bondage, his blood was not only there to free them from that darkness and the chains that they were in, but it was foreshadowing that one day Jesus Christ would come down here and die on a cross and that blood would begin to trickle down that cross. And although he had to die and was sacrificed as a result of that, that blood would begin to be applied to every single one of our lives as well. It would be smeared across the top of our spiritual doorposts so that when the end does come or when Satan begins to come against us, those things cannot attack us. And ultimately, we remain alive and well in freedom as well. And we one day get to go into the promised land where just like the, uh, the Israelites, we can get excited about being free from the chains of sin and bondage and death that once held us far too too long in Jesus' name. You can begin to see why the idea of just accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is such a fallacy. Because to just do that, you're remaining in your house where you smeared that. Well, I don't even know if you smeared the blood quite yet at that particular moment, but you're just kind of sitting in your house waiting for the next thing to happen. But when you go down in the water, when you are baptized in Jesus' name, when his Holy Ghost begins to come and fill you, you are taking that blood and smearing it across that door frame inside of your house, and you are signing up for the promised land saying, You know what? I am not just satisfied with this little environment here, but I want the promised land as well in Jesus' name. You can see why we must not just begin to trickle down and say, I want the easier lifestyle. But Christianity, being an apostolic, is going to be about some sacrifice in Jesus' name. And that's what Jesus was showing us here. That sacrifice was going to be a requirement if we were going to live for him the way that he wants us to live in Jesus' name. The Passover, it was just one of the sacrifices that foreshadowed the final perfect sacrifice of Jesus to save us from all of our sins. It was just one of the ideas that would begin to show us that one day, man, there would be a group of people that were sitting inside of the Abundant Life Church on a Wednesday night service, hearing about the promises of God, knowing that every one of us had committed something bad prior to this, but man, we can come to a place where the blood of Jesus Christ can begin to be smeared over the doorposts. You can begin to see why these stories inside of the Old Testament have so much more meaning and depth inside of them and saying, man, this isn't just about a group of people who saw freedom, but it's about a group of people 2,000 years later and 4,000 years later and 6,000 years later that would begin to see God do the miraculous to help them see salvation in Jesus' name. So all the sacrifices later given in the law of Moses would point towards Jesus Christ as well. I encourage you sometime, if you want to study something, to look at these different sacrifices, to look at the different feasts that they would begin to have as a result of the different things that God did to them, and you'll see that it begins to flow right into the New Testament, that really the Old Testament is just kind of a a pre-chapter to the, the New Testament. It just really begins to flow right into the midst of that, in Jesus' name. And so it says this in Hebrews 10 and 1, that for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Again, uh, saying that and just paraphrase here, but a shadow of good things to come. Speaking about what is going to happen the future this scripture is telling us that man this stuff happened in the old testament and yeah it was exciting but it was going to mean so much more for people in a future generation so these old testament sacrifices they were expressions of god's grace given to maintain god's relationship with his people they were expressions of his grace when god doesn't give us what we do deserve or when god does give us what we don't deserve grace and mercy inside of some of these circumstances here given to maintain his relationship with his people it's incredible that god doesn't just say i want you to have a relationship with me but i'm going to pursue you as well i'm going to do everything possible to make it easy for our relationship to work out for you to be able to connect with me and and, and speak and pray and and know that i am here inside of your life God was doing that to his people at this particular time. He wasn't just leaving them out there abandoned by themselves, but he was saying, I'm still here to be your God, and if you are willing to reach out, then I am willing to deliver you from this place that you are in, in Jesus' name. They were in themselves inadequate and were, only, or, and were to be offered only until Christ's greater sacrifice could be accomplished. Every one of these animals, these things that they began to put, they they were only to be temporary until one day Christ would come on scene and absolutely wipe out all of these animal sacrifices that people had been done. They were ultimately inadequate because it says in Hebrews 10 and 4 that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins for people. And so the Old Testament, when they offered these things, it wasn't wiping people's lives clean, but it was just rolling their sins ahead to one day when they could be completely wiped out and completely destroyed. I'm thankful that we don't have that same worry today that it is just so simple to go down into a tub of water in Jesus' name, fully submerged, and come out of that tub and be able to see, say, I am completely cleansed of every sin that I have committed up to this point in Jesus' name, that I don't have to offer a goat or a cow, I don't have to go through all of those purposes there, and I don't have to worry about my sins continually being there or have a conscience of saying, man, I'm so guilty and all these sort of things, but I can say, God has freed me from that. He died on a cross knowing those things that would be done. And so baptism, we can see why it is so essential in the kingdom of God, that it is not just accept Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, but it is more than that of going down in water and coming out of that and letting that blood come over every single one of us. To scripture, it says in 1 Peter 1 and 19, that the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, that that would be the Blood that would begin to take away every single person's sin. It begins to relate to us in every one of those scriptures. If you look at it inside of the book of Acts and further on and, and later down inside of the New Testament, that they would fully submerge people in baptism, that they would take people and put them fully under the water, that they would proclaim the name of Jesus. And it is done time after time after time. That if somebody was baptized in something else, they would take them and rebaptize them in the name of Jesus because they wanted to be sure that the way that they were baptized would fully free them from the sins that were inside of their lives in Jesus' name. Just standing and accepting the Lord as our personal Lord and Savior isn't the thing that does it. It's the blood that begins to do that. And the way that we pour the blood upon our lives is by letting letting ourselves go down in that water in Jesus' name. Again, another scripture in Hebrews 9 and 13. It says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The scripture that we read at the beginning there. You see, God wants to purge us from some things inside of our lives. And the only way that it can truly begin to happen is by sacrifice. I'm not just talking about sacrifice inside of our lives, but God himself had to come down here and sacrifice himself in order for us to be able to purge ourselves from dead works inside of our lives to purge ourselves from those works that weren't getting us anywhere, that they were just a lifestyle thing, that we were going through the routine, and it wasn't drawing us any closer to God. It wasn't anything that was doing much significance inside of our lives. It's the same thing for these people that were here. We see that the fundamental inadequacy of the Old Testament sacrifices was that they could not purge or clear a person's conscience, That is, they did not truly bring forgiveness or have the power to deliver from sin inside of those places. We're talking about that they could offer these goats, they could offer these things that were there, but it would take the blood of a sinless man that was here in order for that to be completely cleansed. The greater sacrifice that they foreshadowed does forgive, and it can deliver, and as a result, it purges our conscience as well. It can begin to take those things that were deep down, that we never were able to get free, or those things that were deep down hurts, and it can begin to dig those up. And I know it can be painful, but God can begin to take that and mend that and begin to sear those wounds or those hurts that we have inside of our lives and purge us from those sins that we have committed. And it is only through his blood. Thank God for the blood yes thank god for that blood that he has given to us to cleanse us from those things as well isn't it incredible that we can go down inside of that water and we can come out of it and say, man, I feel so much better, not just because my sins are gone, but because I know that I am truly forgiven, that God isn't just up there holding grudges about me or talking to all of his buddies around him saying, yeah, I forgave him, but did you hear what he did? Or or creating all these gossip and these rumor meals going on in these different places. Isn't it great to know that God is saying, no, that's forgotten. It's on the back burner. I don't even want you to bring it up to me anymore. You might as well just let it go because I have done that already. That's what God is trying to tell us to do is to get rid of some of these things inside of our lives in Jesus' name. We have a few minutes for this tonight, but many times people have said that they felt so clean when they repented and were baptized. What was your experience like when your sins were forgiven? Does anybody want to say how they felt when they came out of that water in Jesus' name? Anybody want to shout it out, something that God did for you in that? Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! There you go. Come on. Somebody else. Light as a feather. Light as a feather. Amen. Yes. What was anybody else? What what did you feel? Excitement. Cleanse to the core. Cleanse to the core. Free. Free. Yes. Absolutely. Anybody else feel anything? Yes. Thank you, Jesus it was just incredible it was a powerful powerful moment in Jesus' name. I can just look at photos of of baptisms, and man, to me, it's just like you're in the hottest day that you ever possibly could, just working so hard for that entire day, and then you're able to run into this nice, cool pool of water, and you just dunk yourself inside of that, and you come flying out of it, and you just feel so good at that moment, that that, that particular time in Jesus' name. It is a powerful instance when we begin to know that there is significance inside of that water, that we are literally taking that blood and putting it across our doorposts. We are showing that to Satan, and we are saying, Satan, you no longer have that bondage or those chains on me that you once thought you had upon me, that I may have been carrying heavy stones around. I may have been weak. I may have been at a place where I could not deliver myself, but Satan, there is one that is stronger than you, and I have taken the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, Christ, then I have smeared it across my doorpost and said no more inside of my life in Jesus' name. That's the power that begins to happen when we go down in the water of Jesus' name. Again, it's about seeing that map that God has laid out before us. I told you that God gave a plan to Moses and Aaron and the rest of them began to say, here's the plan that equals freedom. Let's begin to do this so that we can see freedom. It relates to us as well that God has laid out the plan before us and it is very clear as day inside of the scripture that that it tells us that these things are essential for our salvation. Baptism in the water, baptism in the spirit, that God has required these things of us because he wants us to put his blood across our doorframe. And if we refuse to do those things and say, I'm just satisfied with stating this little phrase in my life and going on with what I am doing, then we we must understand understand that we are not going to get to the back part of that equation in Jesus' name. But the roadmap is before us, and it's up to us to take the steps to say, man, I desire to be in heaven with him one day, and I'm going to look at this plan, and I am going to do what this plan begins to say, that he sacrificed on the cross. So what is sacrifice? Look to Jesus to see that that is sacrifice of dying for the mankind that he knew would sin, that would hurt him, that would torture him and do all those terrible things unto him, but he came down here and died for every single one of us. So if we answer that question of what is sacrifice, that is ultimately sacrifice. And so if Jesus did that, then we certainly could begin to show up on church on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, just three times a week. We certainly could begin to read Bibles and pray and see God's face on a daily basis because in reality, those things are not even compared to sacrifice that Jesus did for every single one of us. It's about taking the blood and putting it across our doorpost and saying, man, I want to have a part inside of us. That it is a part of our job to begin to work for the kingdom as well. And so we must, we must apply the blood of the Lamb of God to our lives to be freed from slavery, to sin, and to escape God's final judgment. It's a very easy plan inside of that. That it's our responsibility to begin to do these things here. It's so amazing to me that just the simple thing of just getting in a tub of water and having the name of Jesus proclaimed over some people can be such a hindrance or such a thing of saying, such an argument inside of this world. I mean, what does it hurt to just be dunked down inside of this water? To, to say that you're once saved, always saved, and that because I proclaim these things, I can live the way that I want to. Why not just go down in the water to make sure that you are truly saved? Why not take these steps that God has spoken about and shown us in many different places later on? But ultimately, Christ shed blood and our faith in him alone provide the way for us to be saved. Nothing else is sufficient and nothing else is required but the blood of God the Lamb. It's our job to be a part of this. It's our job to see salvation reign on high in our lives, in our household's lives, in the families around us. It's our job to have a participating part of this. So what does it mean to apply this blood of the Lamb to our lives? The Israelites literally took a bunch of uh, lambs. They sacrificed them. They put these hyssop and they smeared the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and lintels in their homes. We, of course, do not physically apply Christ's blood, but we spiritually apply the blood of the lamb to our lives by faith. That it is that F word, the word faith, that we must begin to apply these things to our lives. Says this: applying the blood. Is a metaphor for relying only on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to save us. Relying on him alone to save us. If you remember at the beginning, these, the, the, the Israelites were just so beaten down that they themselves could not save themselves from what was going on around them. It was only God who could deliver them in the midst of that. So let me be clear here that even though it's us taking these steps to go through this, it is not us that save ourselves. It is not us that begin to say, well, you're saved, you're going to heaven. You're saved, you're going to heaven. It is not that, 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 that process that begins to work. That's not how we save ourselves, but it is God sacrificing himself on the cross that has allowed us to be saved. But we see the roadmap. We see that in faith, we must begin to listen to that roadmap that is before us to get to salvation in the end, in Jesus' name. And so in short, it is to enter into and continue in a saving relationship with Jesus, the Lamb of God. To enter into this relationship, but to continue in it daily and continue in in, in, in a lifestyle. I have never gotten the idea of once saved, always saved, and, and I, I hope that there is nobody out there that this is really offending or anything, but hopefully it's it's more convicting in, in that sort of sense in, in Jesus' name, because in reality, man, this idea of once saved, always saved, I never, I, I don't even see anything in Scripture that comes close to saying that, man, you can just be you get, love God for a day and then just push him away and you're good to go for the rest of all of your life. I have never seen anything that has even came close to any of that, that sort of idea inside of the scripture. It's amazing what human beings can begin to do to draw things out and twist them and move them around just to make themselves feel better in the midst of times when they should be saying, God might be requiring some sacrifice of my life inside of this situation here. Again, if God went to the cross and he died, a torturous death for every single one of us, then it is quite simple for us to say, man, I just want to live for God on a daily basis. I still get to have fun. I still get to do great things. I still get to laugh at people's jokes and all sorts of stuff. I still get to enjoy life, but I have to sacrifice some things in my life in order to live for God and who he is. It really is not that major of an idea. And so John 3.16, I think some of you might know this scripture if you do quote it with me, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life in Jesus' name. It's the beginning step of saying, man, Jesus died on that cross And just like the Israelites had to begin to take action upon it, I know that Jesus died on that cross, that he was the son of God. He was God in the flesh on this cross. And as a result, if I believe in that and have faith in that roadmap, that I can have everlasting life as well in Jesus' name. It's us taking that blood and putting it into action through baptism in Jesus' name. Because in Romans 3 and 23, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every person has done this, that Jesus is the only one who is going to be sinless here in the world around us. But we're thankful that even though we are in the midst of that, just like the Israelites, downtrodden, we were born into it. None of us could escape it. We knew that it was alive and well around us. We saw it in elementary school, maybe even before that. We saw it in our high school years. We saw it in our adult years. We see the bondage and the chains that come as a result of that. But we also see that people can be delivered in Jesus' name that we must turn from our pitiful attempts to make ourselves great in the kingdom and realize that when we turn to Christ and his cross and faith, that that is the thing that will begin to deliver and heal and free and take people to the promised land in Jesus' name. It's not about lights or a nice sound system or a great worship team, although I appreciate every single one of those things in Jesus' name, but it's about having faith in his cross and saying, man, even... Even if all of this was destroyed by a bulldozer, we could still live in the presence of God and know that we could get in the promised land free from what Satan wanted to do to every single one of us in Jesus' name. That's why it's so simple when scripture says resist the devil and he will flee from you. What is a way of resisting the devil? You wipe that blood of Jesus Christ across the top of your doorpost and say not today inside of this household and he will flee from you. From you. It's as simple as that because he is scared. He is intimidated by the blood of Jesus Christ. He knows that he has no ability to touch somebody inside of that baptismal tank. When they are going down inside of that water and coming out in the name of Jesus, that at that instant, God is in control of the sins and the bondages and the chains that are upon that person's life. That when you come down to this altar or inside of your chair or your household or your prayer closet and you begin to repent and give those things back to God after you have been buried in Jesus name you're wiping that blood across that doorpost again and he understands he cannot touch that he has no ability to put that sin back upon your life he has no way of handcuffing you anymore at that moment because the spirit of God is so much stronger in the midst of that moment it's the blood of the lamb upon your doorpost taking you showing you the promised land before you and Jesus name as a matter of fact if we begin to put something else inside of that metaphor the Egyptians came running to the Israelites and paid them off to get them out of their land in Jesus name I've seen it before but darkness will literally begin to pay apostolics off to get them moved out of their land because they say we don't want you here anymore inside of this place in Jesus name that begin to open up other doors, other freedoms to say, man, you might as well just get out of here because we liked it a lot better when there wasn't an apostolic presence of people proclaiming the name of Jesus and a true salvation message inside of this in Jesus' name. Yes. So, at the foot of the cross, we can see that we, or at the foot of the cross we bow, giving thanks to the blood that alone can save. Yes. At the foot of the cross we bow, giving thanks to that blood that alone can save. If you're struggling someday to praise God or thank him or glorify him in a particular place, just begin to think about this. The blood that was shed upon that cross, and in part B next time, we're really going to go into that in more detail in Jesus' name. But just think about that, what he has went through, the suffering, the shame, the despise that he went through. Not only that, but thinking about every single one of us And how terribly we would hurt him later on, sinning over and over and over again. And not only that, but some mankind that would say, just like Pharaoh did, this Jesus, who is he? I don't have to begin to change my life to live for him. How much that would hurt him inside because he died on the cross for that very person as well. Yet they would despise and reject him all the way thousands of years later. Think about the hurt that is inside of that. And it becomes much easier to say, God, I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for having learned about your scripture and a salvation plan that is shown throughout the scripture inside of this Bible. It is so easy to say, God, I am thankful for that blood that is wiped upon my life so that Satan cannot touch me and cannot harm me in some of these ways in Jesus' name. You can begin to say, God, I am so thankful for the power of your name inside of that. In Jesus' name. In Romans 3 and 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It says this justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. In Jesus' name. It's by his blood through faith faith. That it takes action upon that. That's why it's not just as simple of saying, man, I just accept this, or once saved, always saved. It's saying here right in scripture that it takes faith. Something beyond just getting the roadmap before you and saying, I know what the roadmap says, but going further than that. Something beyond just coming to church and being involved in this atmosphere and saying, I believe in God, as we talked about at the beginning of this lesson, but saying, I must obey God as well. That I may believe in God and know and understand that he's a well, but it takes obeying him for that promised land to begin to come into view. Those people who believed in God and the Israelites could have stayed inside of their houses and sat there and said, yeah, I believe in God and that he's going to deliver us, but they would have been left behind inside of their their enemy's land at that particular moment. It took them obeying the word of God to move their lives forward. That's why I am so thankful for this church. Every one of you that are here tonight taking the steps to say, I want and I desire to obey God. I desire to know more about him, that there's something more. I don't feel anybody in this room that is rejecting uh, any of this or rejecting the scripture or any of these things. But every one of you say, man, there's something else inside of this word. And I may have questions, but I desire to go further inside of it. I desire for people around me to know about this word and this gospel. I want my friends to know about Jesus' name baptism. I want them to be freed from that ugly land that has been around us in Jesus' name. We all can begin to speak these things, and I am thankful for being in the midst of you all in Jesus' name. And so Romans 5 and 9, it says, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. He's going to his blood, his own blood is going to save us from his wrath that will come later on down the road. And I'm thankful again for that in Jesus' name. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. I guess this isn't on there either. But it says, By grace through faith, that not of ourselves, but it is of the gift of God and not the result of works we boast only in God. That it is through him and his ability, not our works, that we can understand we are saved by his blood. Again, it says, Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That he is the one that we can rejoice through, that we can give him praise and thanks for being such a wonderful king in every one of our lives. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Yes, thank God for it. We can thank him over and over again. We may have went down in that baptismal water, and it may have been our decision, but man, it was his blood that ultimately cleansed us in the midst of that in Jesus' name. Let me ask you one more question before I conclude this tonight, but Paul is emphatic that we are saved by faith alone. What, again, does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Yes, we believe it in Jesus' name. Anybody else have anything to add on that? Yes, thank God for the blood. Yeah. Amen. I yes, brother. That's a great uh, scripture, the, brother. The, the great, yes. the, starting the great work you started in, you know, completing and finish it to the end. Yes, amen. Yes, that he will complete the works he begins in us. In Jesus' name. Absolutely. Anybody else have anything on that? I don't want to belabor, but definitely don't want to skip. Yes. Having faith in Jesus means that you believe what he said, and you do what he says you need to do to be saved. Amen. Absolutely. And we can begin to see. What's that, brother? Having faith in Jesus allows you to live day by day, yeah. thinking that uh, you're going to be with him. Amen. Amen. You have the the mattress salesman that had faith in Jesus for this business and man, we, we unloaded a truck last night and they're almost all gone. An entire semi we unloaded last night and they're almost all gone over there. So, you know, it's, we, we can have faith in him for so many different things. But, but ultimately, having faith in him we know that it's, it's, it's more than just quoting that phrase, that having faith in him goes all the way back to the story of the Israelites being freed from the Egyptians, that it took them obeying God, having that faith, that equals action, as I think somebody said in here tonight, that that action was what began to say, we're going to wipe this blood of the lamb across our doorposts so that we can make it to the promised land in Jesus' name. Romans 12 and 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Right there in that scripture alone, there is so much. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you're going to die out to God and say, I'm not going to touch those sinful things anymore, but because you have freed me from it, God, I am going to obey and live for you, Jesus. We'll talk about that a bit more next Wednesday, but holy, acceptable unto God. What does he desire of me? What does he want for my life? What, not what does my buddy want or what does the, the church say that I need, but what does God desire for? From me. And it tells us that these things are our reasonable service. Again, very easy to accomplish. If Jesus died and did all of those horrific things for us, then it is very easy. It is reasonable for us to say, I'm going to do these simple things inside of my life to live for God. It goes on to say this in verse 2. Maybe. You might have to advance it, Sister C. There we go. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing. What is the renewing of your mind? How does that happen? Anybody have a guess? Reading God's word and baptism in Jesus' name as well. Renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That if we put that word of God inside of our lives, then we can see what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If we come to church and we hear the preaching of God, then we can begin to see what God desires inside of our lives in Jesus' name. So to read one more scripture to you in Matthew 10 and 38, it says, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake, he shall find it. It's a powerful scripture because sometimes people begin to quote that if we lose ourselves or our lives physically, then that's what God is talking about here. But God is not talking about that in the physical realm. He's speaking more of the spiritual realm inside of it. That if we are willing to give our lives who we are and make them an acceptable Uh, thing unto God, then that is when we are going to lose our life, but we will gain it again when we get over to the promised land in Jesus' name. That some people may want to hold on to their lives now and not give them up, but they will not be able to experience that promised land one day. And so it is our finding that in our lives in Him that we discover fullness of joy and in His presence and pleasures for every more at His right hand, that these things begin to be poured inside of us and we can become an incredible people unto Him in Jesus' name. And so we started tonight with this question and we'll finish answering it next Wednesday of what is sacrifice, but I believe I have given you a picture and began to show you why we believe what we believe as far as salvation, that it is something that God desires for every one of us and really it is an enlightening, a freeing thing that can happen inside of our lives. So I'll finish this tonight by reading this last story. In Matthew 22:1 1-14, Jesus told a story of a king who threw a great wedding feast for his son. You would think that everyone would want to be at the son of the king's party, but strangely the king had a hard time filling this wedding hall at first. He had sent his servants to call those who had originally been invited to come to the feast, but they refused to attend. Begins to cause us to think about our world today, right? That God's calling people and there's some that are refusing. The king was outraged. But there was still a wedding to be celebrated, and so the king sent out more servants and instructed them to bring anybody that they found. So they went throughout the land, and they gathered many people, good people and bad people. They were all brought to this wedding, and all were provided with a wedding garment when they arrived. The hall was filled with guests. Music and the din voices filled the hall as the guests feasted on the king's finest food. In wine, and there uh, they were having a marvelous time, and the king was pleased as he observed it. But then something displeased him. There, among the throng in wedding garments, stood a man in regular everyday clothes. The king went to him and asked why he did not have on the wedding garment, the garment the king had provided to make him presentable at the feast, the one that qualified him to be there. The man didn't know what to say, so he stood there speechless. The king immediately commanded that he be bound hand and foot and thrown out of the hall. Jesus concluded the story with, For many are called, but few are chosen. The man had been invited and had come to the right place, but ultimately he was not allowed to stay because he had not relied on what the king had provided to make him acceptable in his sight. Now we are celebrating our Passover as we await the coming of the Lamb of God. And when he comes, we will be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. A Christ, or as Christ had promised the apostles when they celebrated the last Passover together, all believers will joyfully drink of the fruit of the vine with him in his Father's kingdom in that day. What a feast the marriage of the Lamb will be! One day the call will come with a mighty trumpet blast, and at marriage supper the Lamb is ready. We will be qualified for the feast, or will we be qualified for the feast? Only if we are covered by the wedding garment of the King, the righteousness that comes to us when we have applied the blood by faith. That man was in the right place, the wedding hall, but that was not enough. He was not covered. And on that first Passover night, being in just any house was not enough. It had to be a house covered by the blood. For us, just attending church is not enough. To be in church is not the same as it is in Christ. We must be covered by His blood. So until the Lamb comes, let's apply His blood and fix our eyes upon Him, praying, even so, come, Lord Jesus come. In Jesus' name. If we can stand tonight, it's a story that really begins to demonstrate to us that we don't just want to be in the right place or think that we're believing the right thing, but we want to have the wedding garments on and prepared in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands and just thank God again for what he has given to us so wonderfully tonight. God, we thank you for revealing this tonight, God. I thank you, Lord, for your death, God, everything that you went through for every single one of us, God, that you have washed all of our sins away, God. I pray that those who are confused, God, those who have walked away, God, those who do not know this word or the scripture or who refuse to believe it, God, that you would begin to open their eyes to the blood that is inside, God, that the blood that can begin to cover every one of our households and our lifestyles, God, that we desire to take that garment, God, that you have so freely given to us, and we desire it to wear to your feast in Jesus' name. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the cleansing that you have brought upon every household and every life. God, let us live daily for you, God, willing to sacrifice whatever it will require to draw closer unto you. Jesus, let baptism, God, let the Holy Spirit, God, begin to move through our community. God, fill that baptismal we'll tank take every service, God, in this church in Jesus' name. God, let those sins be remitted. And God, we believe that. We praise you for what you will do, God. And we are so thankful, God, for all that you have done tonight and in years past. In Jesus' name. We believe it, and we are thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's just praise Him one last time and thank Him for the blood that He has given to us. Hallelujah!